Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Okay. All right. We're doing this. So I am so excited to introduce you all to my guest today. She is an absolute badass. Let's just start with that. She is a marketer, a writer, a speaker by day, and as described, a singer, actor, and fitness fiend by night, thought leader in both the marketing and product marketing spaces, which are topics that we desperately need to cover more of here. Now, you don't really want to get her started talking or, or ranting, if you will, because she is a professional ranter. She has a show called Rants with Ashley and Devin, a live stream show. She's got predictions in there. She's got a, another rant coming up that you'll want to check out. But you know what? In a, just a few minutes, we're going to unleash the beast, and we're going to actually ask her to start a rant the way we do here on the show. Director of Integrated Product Marketing at Alessian, Ashley Foss, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I feel like um, I'm gonna. I my beast ranting energy tends to be like happier ranting energy, not like angry ranting energy. So okay. I feel like we're gonna have a nice balance Happy here. Day. We're not. We don't even yeah. like scare the listeners, right? Yeah, no, no scaring them. But we, you know. But if you do, I, I'll. It's okay if you do. But either okay. way, I do like a good happy rant. You know, that descends into chaos. So I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we get a chance to talk. We had to reschedule and all these things. So it's like we finally have lined up the stars. So what I'm going to do is pass you this thing. It's heavy. So just give me a second. Okay. Perfect. Oh. Oh. Okay. Here we go. You want to grab that? I don't. Yeah. There we go. Okay. You got it. There you go. All right. Take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. All right. So my smash is the funnel is dead. Use a playground instead. That is my quippy way of saying this. And again, I have all the rants about the funnel. The funnel is dead, but this is our life. We, we, we exist. We coexist. We're like parasites around the funnel. We we're feeding it. We're caring for it. We're measuring it. The funnel, isn't that our lives? What do you mean that it's dead? Yeah. So from my perspective, the funnel is actually a retrospective measurement tool, not a forward-looking strategy tool. And so fair enough that yes, we're measuring it, we're feeding it, we're caring for it. And that's great. There are a certain number of people who will learn about us, hear about us from an industry perspective, from a topic perspective, from a company or a solution offering perspective. And a certain number of those will think about, hey, I want a demo or hey, give me a proposal. And a certain number of those will in fact buy. And then if you're in SaaS like me, uh, a certain number of those will renew, will upgrade to fancier seats, will invite more people to the platform, whatever it is, right? That is yeah. true. Um, but that does not mean that that's how they buy in this nice, neat fashion. That does not mean that that's how we should align our content. That does not mean that we now have strategy. Well, we, we have the funnel. Awareness, consideration, purchase, cross-sell, retention, upsell, whatever it is. That's, that's not a strategy. That is a fact that happens if we look at it in the past. So that's the piece that I'm saying we need to kill is this mindset that the funnel is driving our strategy or that it's a forward looking tool for us. It's not, it's a retrospective measurement tool. So it's like looking in the rear view mirror. Right. And it told, it told you what you just drove by, but man, is it hard to drive a car if you're only looking backwards. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I guess you can, you can learn from the past, right? So how do you, what's that balance of like, what do you get from the past? And then you just put that to bed and then we'll talk about the future. So like what, what value do you find most pertinent from the past from looking backwards? And then we'll just shelve that for the rest of the conversation. 
Sure. So you can get some understanding of how people found you, what questions they're asking, um, which channels they're coming to most. Are those channels growing or declining? Again, that's going to be a lagging metric for you, not a leading metric. And so you don't want to spend too much time being like, man, this channel worked for us last year. Okay. Well, channels move fast. The market moves fast. People change fast. So you're going to want to keep talking to them, but it is good to start saying, okay, we've been putting a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort into this, and we've seen it declining. Maybe we need to dig into that. Maybe we need to change tactics. Maybe we need to be open to something new. So that can be a good way to see what has worked in the past and what is maybe no longer working, but that doesn't tell you what you should do to change. It doesn't tell you when you should change it. It doesn't tell you how you should change it, right? So again, it can tell you what worked in the past, what maybe is stopping working or slowing down, but it's not actually telling you what, where, and how to make changes in the future. Mm, that totally makes sense. It tells you what has worked. Cool. Now that may not still work, right? right. It, it happened. So right. good. That worked in the past, but it may change. And then you'll be out in the rain and have no idea. And it'll also tell you maybe what are some of the friction points that are blocking you? Okay. Well, these are some of the areas maybe we could clear up. But you're right. I, I, I remember being in like strategy meetings where they were driven almost exclusively by an issues list. And, you know, an, an issue would, well, this is a problem. Okay, well, let's solve it. But, but when that was the sole driver of our strategy, we we're never really creating anything new. But it, or anytime right. we're creating something new, it was in response to a problem. But I, part of me always wanted to like, where's the visioning and where's that other stuff? So let's talk about if the funnel is dead, if that retrospective look is dead, what should it be? So the analogy that I like to use, and this is a mindset shift. And I think sometimes people get tripped up on this because they think that it's basically replacing the funnel. It's like, okay, cool. You're going to give me another linear, you know, measurable <laughs> thing. And I'm like, no, no, it's a mindset shift. So the way I say it is uh, use a playground instead. And so if we talk about physical playgrounds that kids play on, right? I think playground designers are freaking brilliant. They can entertain children for hours day after day after day. It's the same set of equipment, same configuration, same space. And children want to come there every day and play, right? How the heck yeah. does that happen? And the way it happens is because you actually let the children design their own journey. They can go up the slide. They can go down the slide. They can play in the dirt next to the slide. They can play on the swings, right? If we think about that same mindset for our audience and we create this journey that allows them to navigate to where it's seamless handoffs, it's easy. It's delightful. They get what they want when they want it. They can enter and exit as they please. If we can be that smart, that's how we can engage our audience. And so I think about this a lot. For example, the going up the slide and down the slide, right? The playground designers have designed it so you're supposed to go down. The children always want to go up. And if we think about oh, that, always our climbing. Audience, let's just say always, they're always too. climbing, so, right? Yeah. 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 And I've got, I've got uh, podcast, nephews, like right? So go the nephews, more. of course. Exactly. Yeah. Have to go up. And I think about this from an audience perspective. Um, pricing, for example, is traditionally considered a bottom of funnel conversation or piece of content, right? You don't get to pricing until the very end. You got to sell them on the value first. You got to pick out all of their pain points first and convince them that you can solve it. And then pricing. Okay. But what happens whenever they go to ask for budget for whatever it is you're selling? They don't know how much budget to ask for, right? Budget <laughs> is actually one of the first conversations that you have if you get on a call with the sales rep. They want to know, do you have money to actually buy the thing? Well, I don't know if I have money if you won't tell me how much something costs. And I don't necessarily need to know exactly this many, you know, seats at this service level and this licensing, right? But if I don't understand, am I talking about $5,000? $50,000, $500,000, $5,000,000. If I think I'm ready to spend $5,000 and you come at me with half a million, we're not having the same conversation here. And especially 100%. if I'm new, if you're a new product in a new industry or a new space, let's take chat GPT. What's the right price yeah. for that? I, I mean, right. 
don't know. It's a new space. It's a new offering. The Mao yep. on it right now, the monthly active users is absurd, but people, some people have figured out, oh, this is going to be a core part of our workflow. Other people are like rejecting it. I'm never going to use it. I'm anti AI. So how do we don't know what the, the right market price is for that. So if I was going to ask for budget to buy GPT, right? Like what am I buying? Yeah. Am I buying a subscription service? Am I buying a certain number of words per month? Right? Like there, if you're, especially if you're in a new space, the market doesn't understand what the pricing should be. And so if you're gating that and forcing somebody to go through this whole process, they may not even have budget because they don't know what order of magnitude of budget they're even dealing with. Right. So that mindset that pricing is this bottom of funnel conversation. It's like, okay, guys, no, like you got to get budget at the top of the funnel. And again, this is why I say from a playground perspective, Nobody thinks that the kids are playing wrong if they play on the slides one day and then the swings the next day, and then they play in the sandbox the day after and skip both of those. But somehow in marketing, if you didn't go through what I call awareness and what I call consideration and what I call purchase, you've done it wrong. No. Yeah. I'll pause I, I there again. I, I, can't, see that. I, I get on a rant, you know, I'll pause. <laughs> Oh, please. I love this. It has me thinking so much. Sometimes I'm just quick with a joke and whatnot, but I'm really like really thinking about this because I've, I've been on a sales demo call for like a really high priced BI tool. They just look neat. And, or maybe they offered free Bose headsets to do a demo. So I'm like, okay. And yeah. I have no idea how much this is. And I remember asking the rep, how much, you know, it does this start at? And it was like a hundred K a year. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's not, that's not in our budget at all. Yeah. So we probably shouldn't chat at all either, but like we wasted all of our time. We scheduled that. We blocked it off on the calendars because, well, we had to follow this process to your point. Let the kids go up the slide. What kind of other playground activities do you see? What, what makes for a great marketing playground? One thing I actually want to dig in on is your comment about like, oh, they probably offered a free Bose headset or something, right? And I think this is actually yeah. a disconnect where, um, and, and I'll get at kind of what makes a great playground versus that, the mindset that we need to incentivize you to come to a demo. And in the playground mindset, the solution is the incentive. If I need to buy a tool or I need to solve a problem, your ability to solve that is the thing that incentivizes me. You don't need to buy me lunch. You don't need to give me headsets. You don't need to take me to coffee. If I have a problem and you can solve it, that is the incentive for me to speak to you. And I think that's the same thing. When we talk about that playground mindset, again, the parents are not forcing the kids to play on a specific apparatus, right? They, they're not having to say, oh, I'll give you a cookie if you go down the slide. No. Going down the slide is the fun part. Going down the slide is the cookie, yeah. right? So when I think about that, the most delightful experience, I'll give an example from uh, rev.com. So this is a transcription service. And okay. I needed just a quick and dirty transcript. And I was like, oh man, I could probably run this through. I don't know. And somebody was like, oh, you should use rev.com. So I go to rev.com. I put in the video and then it comes up and it says, do you want a machine generated transcript or a human generated transcript. And I was like, I, I don't know. And so I click the info button and it says machine generated transcripts. Um, you know, they're generally good for these types of things. If you're going to heavily edit it, or you just need something for a quick reference, they're available immediately. They're much cheaper. Um, but full disclosure, the quality is lower. And then I looked at the human transcript and it said it's high quality. It takes this amount of time and it costs more. Here's what you can use it for. That was a delightful experience because it told me exactly what my pain point was. I need it immediately and I'm going to use it just as the basis for something. I'm not publishing it as is. And then it also told me the exact pricing trade-off that I was making. It's cheaper because it's lower quality, but you had articulated my pain point so well, and it was the exact pain point. So I chose machine generated transcript. I go to the checkout and it says, uh, since you're a first time user, we're going to give you this transcript for free. 
Mm. You're giving me a free transcript to try it out nice. as like a thank nice. you for trying this. And I didn't even know that. I didn't have to choose free trial, nothing. And I was like, this is the most delightful thing ever, right? So I get the transcript. Then I go to the checkout, I get my transcript. And it pops up and it says, do you want to share this transcript with any of your teammates? Yes. Yes, in fact, I do. So I put in the email <laughs> and, it sends, and it sends the transcript right over to her. She gets an email. I don't have to download it and upload it. And say, She just gets it. So my teammate comes back to me and says, this is great. How did you do this? I need to get a transcript for this other video. It had already like created an account for her because I sent her the transcript. And so she was able to log into my transcripts and just get her own transcript. It offered her a free transcript, same thing. And she was like, this is the best tool ever, right? So yeah. that whole experience at every single point, they told me what I needed. They knew my pain points already. And then they threw in just for funsies, a free transcript for me. Like I tell everybody to use rev.com because that whole experience showed that they know me. They weren't trying to upsell me. Like it didn't feel slimy for me to send that transcript to my, my colleague, you know, versus what normally happens. The CTA is don't forget to invite your team. Make sure you refer a friend to get 15% off. Help us sell, 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 not. Mm. here you need to share this with anybody else feel free right yeah that that language switch and the understanding that oh people frequently need to share transcripts with other people that's a pain point driven value add not a cross sell or an upsell value add for the company right so that's that's i think a perfect example of like that was the most delightful playground experience ever yeah and they, they really, they thought of your needs and they're like, here's two pieces of equipment. You know, do you want to swing or do you want to slide? And yeah. one has more of this and less of that. And, you know, make your own decision. And later on, if you want to come back and do it differently, you can do that too. I wonder though, it, is it is it delightful because they perfected like a friction-free transactional, almost B2C process? And then how do you translate that into kind of a boring B2B, you know, inner city school with no grass or you've got like one swing set, you know, like how, how do you make B2B as fun as, as that kind of an experience that Rev had? Yeah. So I'll give you another example. I, um, we, I was looking for a tool to do uh, employee advocacy, right? Um, which I... Okay have some some rants on that that's that's a separate episode um i've, I've changed my mindset on the ability <laughs> nice. of a tool be to empower that. But, uh, and i went through and this this is where my pricing example comes from because you know my boss told me hey go find us this tool and i would and tell me how much budget you need and i just didn't know like i don't know how much these systems cost i was like i know it's going to be five to six figures but i don't know where in the five or six figures we're dealing with here right um, yeah. And I emailed a bunch of big players in the space and they all tried to force me to download a white paper, book a demo or <laughs> sign up for an email campaign. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't even have budget, right? One rep got back to me and gave me straightforward pricing. And I was like, thank you. That's what I needed, right? That kicked off a very delightful sales process. So they, um, the, and they invited me to uh, a dinner that they were having with a mix of customers and prospects. And I happened to be local. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. Um, and it was great because it was a bunch of other people in my same profession and some adjacent problems. And so we were all talking about not just their tool, but the problem space. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to solve. How are you solving it right? So I got a chance to talk to other people about the problem. The solution was a very small piece of it, obviously, and they didn't they didn't pitch me. They they waited, they did the demo, that whole thing, all that happened during business hours. But get together and nerd out with my people about problems, that's what they curated for me. And then once we actually got into the sales process, they came to me and said, "Here's what here's the steps we've seen with other enterprise deals like this. Here's what your compliance team is going to ask for." Here. Here's what your security team is going to ask for here. 
They gave me the documents for compliance. They gave me the documents for security. They gave me the documents for legal. And they told me compliance is going to ask you for this. Security is going to ask you for this. And legal is going to ask you for this. I don't buy this tool. You know, it's a, it's a multi-year deal, right? I only, I think I signed a two or three year contract, right? So I don't do this all the time. I don't know what the buying process is. I don't know how to get this deal through. The rep did. And so the rep got on the call. They said, oh, I'll bring my compliance guys to talk to your compliance guys. I'll bring my legal gals to talk to your legal gals. And I was like, great. Yes, let the lawyers talk. I don't need to be on that call, right? So right. they were the ones who told me how to buy, not me coming to them with a roadblock and then being like, well, I don't know how, I mean, what do you normally do to get this contract signed? Well, I don't sign these contracts, but... I've, you know, I've only bought a tool like this twice in my decade and a half in marketing because I I don't, you don't buy this tool very often. Right. So that, that was delightful that they told me how to buy and I didn't have to go figure out this whole process from scratch because they knew what the process already was. And it sounded like they told you, Hey, over here, there is the compliance carousel and the legal seesaw and the security jungle gym they weren't like exactly. our next call we will talk to compliance are like they're like hey in case you have these people here are these these toys over here you know yeah. do you have these people do you want to try to play on any of these things and you're like yes please yes please le- yes. or i don't have le- yeah. you everyone has legal but i don't have compliance okay well you know right. how about security you yep you have those great let's get on a conversation so it's it was that the case? They like it was like a choose your own adventure with them. Yeah, yeah. So there was some choose your own adventure. Um, I think you know they asked too. They're like, what other stakeholders are in this call, right? And I think I mean that's a good that's a another question when you ask somebody like, hey, do you want to play a game? Well, I don't know. What does the game involve? What are the rules? Who's playing? What are the consequences? What do I win? Right? And so for them to be like, who else is in this game? Uh, and then I would say, oh, it's this person and this person. They'd ask, what about this other person? Because, you know, we just actually did a deal that's similar to what we're talking about with you. And this other person actually seemed like they had some concerns about it. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. I didn't actually think about that. Who would that person be? Right. So they were able to describe the other participants in the game that maybe I had left out because. Again, I don't play this game very frequently, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it it had some choose your own adventure elements in it, in that they were helping me kind of identify the landscape and the players on the board beyond what maybe I knew that yeah. I needed, right? And again, if you think about this, like little kids, um, they think they can only see like a couple feet in front of them, right? And so if the parent tells them, you know, oh, hey, go play on the swings, they think that's the only thing that exists. They don't know that there's a slide and a merry-go-round. And it's the same right. thing in this case. I thought, okay, I'm doing the swings and, you know, I've gone to the swings that they're like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta look at the whole journey. Yeah. Um, there's users, there's stakeholders, there's, you know, procurement, compliance, legal, whoever. Um, and, and those people are engaged at different points. And so for me, it's delightful because I don't have to go figure all that out. They were able to just lay it out and say, you know, here's what we've seen because we do these deals all the time. Right. They're teaching you how to play. Hey, welcome. Yeah. yeah. This, this is fun. Let's teach exactly. you how to play Foursquare. Yeah. Exactly. Here's, here's some of the rules. That's amazing. Have you, have you written a book about this? You need to, I feel like there's a book in your future. Ah, you, multiple people have said that. I, uh, I've written a couple of articles about it um, and I've presented on it at conferences, but, and obviously talk about it at podcasts, but uh, to date, I have not written a full book. So consider this another signal from the universe that this would be so much fun, right? Especially if you told people they could read the book however they wanted to, you know, hop around. This is is your play. I haven't written a book yet because it's not linear, right? Like, yeah. How do I, how do I get people, you know, most books are linear. You set up the problem, you set up the solutions. And for me, and we can talk about some frameworks of like, all right, cool. So how do you actually do something like this? Right. I've given some examples, but from a, from a mindset and frameworks perspective, how do you do this? Uh, so yeah, that actually is a struggle with the book is I'm like, this is not linear. I don't know how I would, 
how do I lay this out in a book when it's not a, not a linear concept? So. But I think, you know, it's that old choose your own adventure book or, you know, it could be, could be any direction. It could be those kind of books you just flip through and pick a chapter. I think you know, yeah. one of them was like the, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership or something like that. Um, and it was just, there's 21 laws. They're all separate and you can just flip through and pick one out. And I, I, I totally could see it. It's like, Hey, here's your playground. This is what you want to create. Maybe that's chapter one, but everything else is like, let me take you the different, you know, if you, if you like slides then skip to seven, you know, Go chapter seven, but like, let, let's transition to how, how do you create this playground? Maybe, maybe you force people to eat the gruel and you force people to um, be in the terrible world and now it's time to let them play. So how do you make that transition? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is aligning the content to content depths. So obviously you have to know your audience. You have to understand what the business needs are. You know, those two things need to be aligned, right? But frequently um, those are either, I find they're in two extremes. They're either like very high level where it's like, we're going to sell project management software to project managers to drive revenue. And you're like, that is a lot of words that have not, really told me very many things. Uh, or they're like, yes, I'm only going to sell to, you know, Casey, who's wearing a black sweater and who's on a recording exactly right now. And you're like, wow, really? I mean, you know, Casey and I have each other's emails. Like we could, we could talk on email. Yeah. That's the thing we could do. It's like, <laughs> nope, nope, just this, right? So, um, so yeah. one of the big things that I suggest shifting to is this uh, concept of content depths. And so looking at the conceptual, strategic, and tactical depths. And some people are like, wait, 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 you've just replaced the funnel, the three stages of the funnel with three content depths. And I'm like, no, no, hear me out. So the conceptual idea uh, is the what and the why of the idea. That's the conceptual depth. And so it's kind of philosophical. It helps people think about the problem space. At the strategic depth, you're gonna talk about the uh, tools, processes and key knowledge components that have to be in place to make that conceptual idea reality. So this helps people think about the solution space and do their own research. And then at the tactical level, this is your daily habits. It's very prescriptive. Um, it's, you know, the step-by-step -step instructions. And you'll notice that nowhere in there did I say your company, your product, your pricing, right? I said the problem space, the solution space, and basically the tactics or the execution or the prescriptive content, right? So if we translate that, um, one of my other favorite examples, I say fitness fiend in my bio. And so one of my favorite examples to, to demonstrate this is a fitness example, right? If you ask people, what does it mean to be healthy and fit? Most people are going to say it's some combination of diet and exercise, but you're going to answer that question very differently if you're runner's world versus muscle and fitness magazine versus yoga journal. And so True. if we think about it in that way, right, if you're muscle and fitness, you're going to say you're healthy and fit if you have big, strong muscles and you eat a high protein diet. That's at the conceptual level. At the strategic level, you might talk about having good form when you lift weights or the value of compound movements. And you might talk about fast versus slow digesting protein or different protein sources. And then at the tactical level, that's your 10 tips for bigger biceps, five chicken dinner recipes to try this week. Again, you'll notice that is not linear. You could go and look for five chicken dinner recipes and yeah. not have to talk about a high protein diet, not have to talk about different protein sources. You just want five recipes, right? Yeah. You could talk about, oh, big, strong muscles are the key to living a longer, healthier life without ever learning how to get bigger muscles or doing exercises to get bigger muscles, right? So yeah. we translate that into a B2B or a SaaS standpoint. I could learn all about this problem of how the buying cycle has changed, how employees are the new sales, right? And never go to the tactics of how to empower your employees to share, how to give them prompts, how to use tools to measure this and scale this, or without going into the tactics of, you know, 
here's how to write copy or 50 hooks to provide to your employees, right? Mm, yeah. So when we think about it that way, I mean, even this conversation, I started out with a conceptual idea that the funnel is dead. Yep. I, I, we've talked through a couple of different frameworks like this content depths, which is strategic. And then tactically, I gave several examples of exactly how that showed up. But I gave the tactics before I gave this strategy level thing, right? Rev.com and that employee advocacy tool were actually t very tactical examples. I talked about their CTAs. I talked very specifically about their steps. You could take that and learn from it without us ever having this conversation about content depths. Right. And you would learn something from it and you would get value from it all the same, right? whether you wanted to boil it down into strategic processes or even the overall conceptual thing of what's going on. So, so if you divide, divide and conquer, you've, you've thought about these different layers. You then just go about to create content equally covering all of these depths. So I don't think it's equal. Um, it is conceptual level content is hard, right? It's, it's sure. that very future thinking. This is what we would traditionally consider the thought leadership um, level of content where you're putting out something new. It's kind of visionary. Framing up a problem space is really hard. And so I actually would say, you know, normally whenever I think about this for my content um, in my day job, or if I'm advising somebody who is doing this for their company or from a personal perspective, to pick three to five no more than five. And I, honestly, three is probably better from a conceptual standpoint. What are those big ideas? And then start to look at that and say, okay, what has legs for you to talk about for at least the next 12 to 18 months? And then you start looking at the strategies and tactics underneath that. And this can be from a product perspective. This could be from a company narrative perspective. This is different than your messaging. It's different than your positioning. It's different than your company mission, right? Like this is more specifically around that marketing mix, or if you're doing personal branding or thought leadership, that content mix, this is not meant to replace sure. your overall positioning, right? But um, as an example for us, right, we're going through this right now, we have a product called Compass, and uh, it's helping teams map and understand um, the health, the dependencies, the ownership of all of their microservices. So this is like a technical techies product, right? And as a marketer, I'm tasked with helping them market this. And so that, that product right now is in yeah. beta. And so we're still trying to kind of figure out what is that content mix to help educate people about the problem space? Because there's a, a lot of ways we could frame it. Um, software sprawl, right? In the past, you had monolithic applications. And you're like, oh man, this sounds like a boring topic. But when you talk about this with devs, they're like, no, but seriously, we're literally about to start decomposing our monolith. How, how do we do that? How are we going to go about this? What problems are we going to run into? What granularity of, of decomposition do we need? How do we know when it is time, right? If we only have one, oh, okay, you, you have one, you, you kind of only have a monolith. There's nothing to decompose, right? But once it starts getting to a certain complexity level, you start having to make different trade-offs that microservices can help you with, right? And so this whole space is fairly, not, not fairly new. I mean, it's been in the last, call it decade or so, but that framing of the problem space is the stuff that we're trying to help people understand. How do we grab onto those pain points in a way that people can understand them because our product we know it works. We had this problem. We built it to solve our own problem. We noticed that every time we talked about it, people were like, man, I have this problem. But the problem space is still kind of fuzzy and people are not sure. Is it yeah. a tooling issue? Is it a visibility issue? Is it a process issue? Is it an organizational structure issue? In some cases, it's all of those. And so helping people frame up that problem space and diagnose what problems they have they can't even think about a solution because they're not 100% sure which problems they have. It's such a new space and conversation, and there's not really a clear leader right now that is not based on 
kind of how the tooling has worked in the past. Um, so that's an example of something in B2B where, you know, we're still kind of trying to work out exactly how we're framing it up in a, at a conceptual level, even though we've actually got the tactical level pretty solved. So uh, real quick, sort of for context, would this be a situation where like you hate Microsoft Teams and you get rid of it and then you're like, or, or you, you, you buy a couple other tools that are smaller to, cause they do a little bit better job than one of the things that Microsoft has. And so you start having all these different app, micro apps. Is that, is that the same problem you're talking about? Like instead of some big giant solution, you have little ones or a little different? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit different thing. It's kind of like um, having, I mean, for this audience, it's a little harder to translate because all of us are marketers, right? So it's kind, it would be kind of the equivalent of like, um, you know, having different uh, laptops for different jobs, right? You've got one laptop to, that handles all your video processing because, you know, and that's the only thing that's on it so it can go fast. And then maybe you have another laptop that yeah. uh, is only for no, one so Do you right? literally mean like, phys- like, uh, like digital service? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be kind of similar to that where you say, okay, instead of one laptop to do all the things, you're going to have a bunch of different devices that are kind of targeted to handle certain problems. Uh, that would be similar to like your cloud infrastructure to say, okay, we've got to spin up different machines to handle different types of workloads. Got it. Okay. Got it. So the cloud, that makes sense. So, so then by example, what is the, what are the different, that could you just describe the three different depths that this, you're like in your, you're solving in that problem space. Sure. So, um, like I say, we're still, uh, formulating this a little bit. So, um, if, if yeah. any of my, if any of my engineering colleagues are listening, they're going to be like, it's not like laptops. I'm gonna be like, guys, I'm, I'm trying to translate it for marketers here. Um, but well, no, this, this is actually right? a great example. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll just spar the strategy right here live, you know, we'll have a little brainstorm. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, uh, conceptually, for example, um, one of my colleagues, uh, his name is Andrew. He's great. He's, he's an evangelist on the compass team just delivered a talk talking about this concept of the complexity limit. And this is something that marketer marketers can understand as well, right? You start out, you have one problem, you buy one tool to solve it and you're like, cool, we've solved it. And then you figure out that in fact, that actually caused some other thing that you didn't know. So you buy another tool and all of a sudden you've got like 50 tools in your MarTech stack and you're like, I I don't have the skills. I don't have the visibility. Who even owns this tool? Like who has the login? Where is the password? What are we doing with this? Wait, how does that automation rule for Marketo triggers this other? We just moved to HubSpot, right? It's kind of a similar thing when you're managing all of your infrastructure. So it gets complex. It's freaking hard, right? And so when you're small and things are not complex, all your metrics look good. Your developers are happy. Everything's running smoothly. You don't have any incidents. You're shipping software all the time. Things are great. Then you start to see your metrics tank and you realize you're starting to hit that complexity limit. So that's kind of the conceptual idea. So at the strategic level, the question then becomes, how do you solve that? How do you raise the complexity limit so that you can keep growing and keep moving fast. Well, you need new rituals, right? You need uh, more visibility into who owns what, into what each tool is doing, into how it's performing. Here's the types of metrics that you can look at to understand if your team and your systems are healthy. So we talk about that at the strategic level. So again, you could implement those rituals, you could implement those metrics without buying the tool. And then at the tactical level, um, we have something. So this is actually something that I think is is awesome. And again, I'll, I'll give a little plug for uh, Compass here, even though this is not really the yeah, audience for it. Go tell your tell your teams, right? But um, okay. we they they have this ritual that they call check ops, and so it's a very specific template with step by step instructions for you to talk about how things went, for you to look at your health as a team and as um, all of your software to look at how that's all performing. And so, yes, at some point you're going to need some kind of tool to track those metrics. Mm. We would recommend that you use compass for that. Right. But in theory, you could just go through that template 
off the top of your head. It's going to be way less impactful if you do it off the top of your head versus tool, but you still could. You need to know what those steps are. So that's an example of saying, okay, conceptually, here's this, the complexity limit. What is it? Why are you hitting it? Strategically, here are some you know tools, processes, and people rituals that you can implement to help improve that. And then at the tactical level, here's an actual template. Here's an actual tool. Here's a demo. Here's how we've built this functionality for you to be able to see these things. Um, and so you can, and again, you can see if you just want to say, I need to understand the health of my systems that could come in at the very tactical level. And then if you start saying, okay, why did we choose this set of metrics to show you, or why are we pulling in this type of data? You can pop up to the strategic or conceptual levels to get a better understanding of that. Gotcha. I love that. Thank you for walking through that. It, it's great seeing examples of that. I could imagine sometimes the problem is figuring out what specific problem you solve. I mean, you might solve several different ones. Do you end yeah. up having, do you have to pick one? Do you have several, but then does, does that make it like a nine by nine matrix matrices after that? Because you're like, Oh, I, I solve all these problems and I have all these depths. Is that essentially where this goes? So I would say that this is where you do kind of need to narrow it down for the number of problems you solve. So uh, coming back to something for my own content, right? Um, I struggle with this because I get excited. I'm like, oh, let's talk about this fun thing over here, right? But realistically, I don't have that much to say about it. So event marketing is a great example. I don't really have that much to say about it unless it dovetails with content strategy, thought leadership, or social media right? How do you unite right. online and offline experiences? How do events fit into the content playground? How do you promote events effectively on social media? I don't really have much to say about event logistics, about getting speakers, about what kind of content works best, about which platforms are... I don't know any of that, right? So right. that's one way that I think about narrowing down those problems is pick the things where you have that depth. Pick the things where you could talk about this with a bunch of examples, a bunch of metrics, you could talk about it on podcasts, you could talk about it on stage, you could write 20 articles about it. What's that thing? And then if something new comes in, maybe that's a tactical depth, right? So for me, when I talk about events, that tends to be at the tactical level in kind of this framework or, or topic set or conceptual idea around content strategy or thought leadership or social media as an example. So this is why I say narrow it down to that kind of like three, maybe four, so that you don't end up with this 20 by 20 matrices of like, I solve 20 problems and I've got 20 depths and 20 strategies. And you're like, oh my gosh, right? The other interesting thing is people often don't go deep enough on that strategy level. From a strategy perspective, mm -hmm. these things should be able to apply to multiple different tactics. If it's a one-off, it's probably a tactic. It's not a strategy. So for example, the content depths, I talk about that when I speak about my social media framework and when I speak about my four pillars of thought leadership. That strategy applies to multiple adjacent problem sets. Versus the rev.com example, that really doesn't apply to my thought four pillars of thought leadership. Like that's not, that has nothing huh. to do with anything, right? That really doesn't apply to my social media framework. It's, it's pretty specifically only for the content strategy piece of it, right? And, and how we think yeah. about that audience journey. Um, so that's another good way to kind of stress test some of this stuff is um, what I like to do with, I have an exercise, um, I call it the narratives worksheet, right? And it's, okay, write down all the things and then start to group them. And you'll start to see, okay, does this thing go in multiple buckets? Okay, it might be a strategy. Is this one thing you can't figure out how to relate it to any of the other stuff on the board? Okay, you probably don't have that much to say about it and you should actually probably just discard it, right? So if you find that you're able to start bucketing things into, you know, two or three buckets, cool. There's your, your conceptual level, big ideas. So there's a couple ways to get at it. Um, that's one way that's a, a super tactical way to do it is like brain dump all of it, 
And I like to do it on stickies mm. personally, because then I can like move them all around and I can kind of play with it and be like, ah, this, this actually go in multiple buckets. All right, cool. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a strategic element, right? Or like, can I rephrase this again? The, the funnel is dead. Use a playground instead. That's a big idea. And there's a bunch of stuff we can talk about. Cool. That must be the conceptual thing because it on its own, it doesn't tell you anything, right? It doesn't tell you how to do it. It doesn't tell you what to do. It just tells you that you need to think differently. Right. And would you even argue that ha having the incentive be the solution, would that be strategic? Because that can really apply to multiple things. Yeah, I think so. that one is more, that's almost like a foundational principle, right? Like from my perspective, I mean, it's the same thing in B2C discounting is a whole conversation about, you know, Black Friday, for example, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm only going to buy this on Black Friday. And you're like, okay, well, then they do a whole markup with the, you know, the month before so that they can discount yeah. it back down to the actual price, right? So some of this is like, there's first principles type of stuff around like, know your audience, serve your audience. That's not a strategy. That's like how you do marketing. I mean, that's that's just like the bedrock. I mean, that's that's how you do business. If you don't know who you who you're serving, oh, where does you bedrock fall into? Like, do what? Yeah, where does the bedrock fall into? Would that would would does that technically count as a strategy, or are you saying it's so ubiquitous that people should just know that? Yeah, I feel like that's so ubiquitous, and it's not. Those first principles are not um, like that, that that's like a values thing, I would say. Like saying know your audience, okay. for example, from a marketing perspective, like that doesn't 100%. tell you yeah. <laughs> anything, right? And like, no. you know, like, okay, how do I get to know them? What do I need to know about them? Like now that I know them, what do I do with that, right? Like that's, that's just a, yeah. marketers need to have high audience empathy, right? Like. That's just how you do your, I mean, you, I mean, you could even go back to like the golden rule, right? Like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Like, is that, <laughs> that's, that's kind of just like a life principle, right? So I think that some right. of the, some of those foundational values or mindsets about how you approach business or marketing um, are kind of outside of this because like, that's just, how you should, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to do marketing if you don't have an audience mindset? Like, I just don't even, I don't even know how. I know we say that, but I, yeah. <laughs> some people don't. I, I just, I wonder though, because that the incentive thing, if that, is that a different kind of, is there another depth in the content depth of like, just like dumb things you should know or do already. But like, I hadn't thought of that. Cause I even fall into the trap of, well, maybe you should give someone a gift card or something, you know, but it's like, no, make the, the solution. So is, but are you saying, is that just like a, a core value of what, what does that fall under? Because I feel like that deserves its own, you know, not white paper, but its own content. Yeah. It's own thing. Yeah. Um, I, that's a good question. I think another big thing that I, say in this vein is um, that you're not tricking anyone into buying anything. And so this idea that like, ha I got your email address from downloading a white paper. I shall now, you know, do a drip campaign and ha I will convince you to buy. It's like, you're not, you're not tricking any people are not stupid. You're not tricking them into buying right. anything. Right. So I think for me, um, the, the incentive is the solution or the solution is the incentive and the you're not tricking anyone into buying anything that for me tends to translate into uh in this context it would translate into things like be explicit in your ctas um just literally say try for free or see pricing or um you know create an account or do a free trial or book a demo speak to sales don't say learn more. Don't say read more. Don't say explore. Oh, you say that's a tactic? Like, so so in that case, it would be the mindset is I'm not tricking anyone into buying anything. 
Right. Therefore, my tactics are very explicit CTAs so that they know gotcha. read another article means they get to read another article, you know, without putting in their email address or without being sold. Talk okay. to sales means you're asking to have a salesperson speak to you, right? Like, right. So, so all of that can fit into a content strategy, right? Like if I say create a playground, one of the other nice things about a playground is that you can see everything, right? Like right. you can see the slide. It's not, yes. I mean, obviously some slides have, you know, a covering, but go with me here. You, yeah, you can I'm see the you. slide and you kind of know what's going to happen, right? You're going to go to the top, yeah. you're going to go to the bottom and you can reasonably understand that. It's not right. obscured. It's not, let's put up this whole wall and be like, okay, kids, what do you want to play on? And they're like, I mean, is there, is, is there a slide? How big is the slide? Because I'm small and I'm scared <laughs> of slides, right? Like, right. No. You can see the slide and you can see how big it is and you can decide to go on the slide and you know what's going to happen. Right. So that would, that would be, uh, this is, this is a good exploration of this question, right? Like, I guess I would say that, um, that mindset of not tricking anyone to, into buying anything and the solution is the incentive. Sure. That would probably be like a strategic kind of mindset. And then the tactics that ladder up to that are explicit CTAs and, um, mm -hmm know, uh, pain point driven demos, for example. Sure. Sure. So cool. Uh, I don't know if you looked at the clock, but I literally, we have literally just warped through an hour. I have, this is, it's been, man, I've learned so much from you in this. I literally, you just have to come back, right? So I have to, you have to come back and we'll do another rant and we'll learn more about you and other things. Um, yeah. I, what a great concept. It, it's oh, so thank you. fun to think about. And it's, and I would say it, it's easily grasped, but some of the questions I was asking, I really wanted to get to the, to the heart of it because I, I can see the power of it. If you just get, if you can grasp those concepts and then present that for people. So good. Uh, where can people reach out to you? Where, where can people reach out to you, learn more about you, the company, all the things? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Ashley Foss. I should be one of the first search results up there. Um, I'm on Twitter a little bit at Ashley Foss, but not as much. And then if you want to more, learn more about Atlassian, so um, if you want to check out Compass, which I was talking about earlier, again, super technical product, but it's fascinating to look at the messaging and the journey, especially if you're in a more technical yes. space, uh, you can go to Atlassian.com and we've got a variety of different products, um, but you'll see the, the Compass example on there. Amazing. Amazing. Well, enjoy the rest of Mexico. Uh, it's amazing to think we can have a conversation across, you know, many, many miles. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on here. I've just absolutely learned a ton and I just so much appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. For those listening, if you learned something and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back. I've literally run out of space. So Share this with one person, nine people, 3,000 people, whatever the number is. That's thought leadership. Ashley, thank you again for being on here. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.